Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to Streets Ahead, your podcast dedicated to all things cycling, walking and wheeling in the UK and beyond. I'm Ned Bolting. I'm Laura Laker. And today we're channeling the spirit of Adam Tranter because Adam is on some secret assignment that he doesn't want to talk to us about and he can't be with us. He's just very busy at the moment. Um, This time, though, we're really pleased to say we've got another active travel czar, because that's how you refer to these people, in the form of Dame Sarah Story, who's stepping down after three years. Gosh, has it been three years already? Working for South Yorkshire to become Greater Manchester's active travel commissioner. Now, Britain's most successful Paralympian of all time, Sarah worked with the region's mayor, Dan Jarvis, in delivering a vision for cycling and walking from April 2019. Sarah, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, No, it's an absolute pleasure. So soon after the announcement as well. A million and one questions for you. Let's just start with Sheffield, I suppose. South Yorkshire, I should say. And I suppose the question is, in those three years, how much of what you wanted to achieve did you achieve? Well, I think when we started, we had no idea the pandemic was coming along. So we achieved a significant amount ahead of the pandemic. And then we had to change tack a little bit. And actually, active travel became more important in many ways when the first lockdown hit, because we were all told to stop driving in case people collided with each other. And that added more stress to the National Health Service. So that was an incredibly useful part in many ways, the only useful part of the the pandemic. But we were able to utilise that to really focus on what we needed to working from home. And that was a very difficult part, too, because we wanted to be able to galvanise communities, meet people, talk to them, support them and find out exactly how they would like to engage with active travel. And we couldn't do that. And in many ways, we've only just started to be able to do that again. And many of the communities we need to be able to see are still very 
you know, cautious because we've opened up quite quickly in many ways. And that's helped us to get out and about. But it's also put people sort of on the back foot a little bit. So for us, we've had to change tack sort of a year into the plan. But we got our active travel implementation plan delivered inside 12 months, presented to number 10 Downing Street. And we started to really work hard on those infrastructure standards, which was a key part of where we needed to go when I started. What does the um, active travel implementation plan mean in reality? So our active travel implementation plan was the 20-year strategy that South Yorkshire, Sheffield City region, as it was when I started, needed to have in place in order to guide the work that was being done. So we started out by talking to people about where they saw the need for a network, what routes they wanted to be able to ride and walk more safely than they could currently. Alongside that, we also worked with the local authority partners and said to those people and the transport teams, where do the routes need to go? And from the interactive map that the residents were putting their, dropping their pins on and making the comments, we overlaid that with the network that the local authorities drew. And we found that more than 90% of what the local authorities and what the residents said actually correlated. And nearly 95% of the points that were dropped onto the interactive map by the residents of South Yorkshire were within 200 metres of where the network would be. So it meant that everyone was actually heading in the same direction, which was incredibly useful, but also showed the appetite and the, the potential within the region to deliver a network that would work for everybody. So once we'd got that 2040 map sort of set, we then set out the plan to get there. And that was one of the more difficult challenges in some ways, because you have to work out the pace and that will change as the 20 years progresses. It's already had to change because of the pandemic and resources within local authorities. But it also gave us a target, gave the region a target for how they would plan to fund it and how they would plan to lobby government for that funding as well. I'm reading here on Laura's notes that she's prepared. The network of routes was scheduled to be delivered. I mean, we'll come on to talk about your new job soon, um, Sarah, but just reflecting on you know the, the, the job that you've been engaged in over the last three years. The network of routes was scheduled for delivery by 2040. Is that right? So we produced a 2040 map that was the target. So that was over 800 kilometres of a network, over 800 crossings. So it's really important to note that it wasn't just about cycling. Walking is Mm. the biggest form of transport that anyone uses, but often the most undervalued. So it's really important that we recognised where improving pedestrian routes needed to be as well. So more than 800 crossings, more than 800 kilometres of network, and also laying that across what was in existence that needed to potentially be upgraded. So when I started, some of the Transforming Cities Fund money was being delivered, and we went to the local authorities with the higher standards that we wanted to bring in and said, how can you improve what's going on at the moment to help them meet those standards immediately. And it wasn't possible in all of those schemes that were being dug out in 2019, if you like. But what we were able to do with one of them in Doncaster was set in motion a plan over the next years, they will retrofit the standards to the Bennetthorpe scheme. They already made it wider. They already delivered it from an access perspective from the width. Now what we need on that scheme is the continuation of the route across the side roads. And that's something that's a national discussion as well, because when we look at the plan in Greater Manchester with the side road zebras, that will obviously help a lot of local authorities across the UK to deliver those continuous routes that we as people who cycle and certainly people with access needs on bikes will really benefit from when it comes in. Yeah. 
been one of your kind of key things, hasn't it, as Active Travel Commissioner for the region to make sure that these cycling routes you're building are inclusive for everyone. And um, I know one of the things that you've delivered recently is the cycling projects, the all-inclusive cycling centres in the region. I wonder if you can sort of talk about that. It's kind of about width and it's about angles and it's about just sort of including different people along the way, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. And when we sat down and looked at the current infrastructure standards that were in place in 2019, the vast majority of infrastructure being delivered was three metre wide shared use between pedestrians and cyclists. And that meant that the vast majority of the quicker riders were utilising the highway instead of utilising the roadway. It wasn't safe for them to be on the footway. And so we needed to look at those standards and improve them. But we also needed to look at how we enforced those routes, because traditionally those routes are enforced by narrowings or by sort of slalom gates, whatever you want to call them, where you have to weave in and out of things that prevent motorised vehicles, whether that's a motorised scooter or a small car, accessing those wider routes. So what's the point of building a wider route if then the people they're built for can't even get on there because you've made a narrowing? Yeah, yeah. But with that, it's all very well building those routes. But what about the people who want to access them? Because we estimate across the UK, one in five people have some form of long-term health condition or disability. And that means that riding a standard cycle is quite difficult. There's a myriad of different types of non-standard cycle. Trikes, there's four-wheel bikes, there's different types of cargo bike. And then even just talking about what completely able-bodied people would use with their families, you know, family cargo bikes. So all of the width benefits benefit everybody, really. And that's the same in everyday life. Wider doors, accessible bathrooms, accessible bedrooms, everybody benefits. So the Wheels for All centres was about providing people with a training opportunity so that when the network is delivered, those people already have an experience and can utilise it. Sarah, just to, just to pause, what was that statistic you said? What percentage of, of the population? Um, one in five. One in five. So that could be anything that would inhibit your ability to access something in the way that you or I may access it. So it could be somebody who's living with obesity, who's struggling with their mobility. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's a permanent long term health condition, but it's something that has been with that person for a significant period. Now, I'm not sure whether it's 12 months or more, how you determine whether it's you know long term but it affects your day-to-day life and it affects your ability and for some of those people they are unable to balance hidden disabilities is a really a big talking point right now it's really important that everybody is able to access that without having to explain themselves so if you'd like to ride a trike or you'd like to ride a four-wheel bike instead of a standard cycle that's absolutely fine we don't need to know why you need the extra width it's just going to be there hopefully in the future Brilliant. I mean, what would you say in terms of, you know, summing up your experience over those three years, if you could take away one achievement and say, I'm really pleased we did that uh, to the exclusion of others? What, what, you know, what went best of all over those three years, do you think? Well, the Wheels for All Centre plan has gone incredibly well. The hiccup was literally not getting people together because we couldn't during the pandemic. But we've delivered the Doncaster Centre at the Doncaster Dome, which is an amazing facility anyway. I actually got to race there myself last summer. But we delivered that in January and there's one in Barnsley about to be delivered in May, which I will be able to attend as well. And that's fantastic. And we're looking at making sure that we can wrap up the one in Rotherham um, before the end of the summer. But I think aside from the Wheels for All Centres, I think the work that we've done with South Yorkshire Police has been significant because you can set up a plan, but 
but you can't build it very quickly because you have to go through all the assurance processes. You have to make sure the funding is brought in. And so while that's happening, you need to make the roads safer. You need to make crossing the roads safer and you need to make travelling a more pleasant thing to do. So we worked quite closely with South Yorkshire Police to make sure that they were aware of all the opportunities they had as a police force to make life easier for people using the roads. So we now have a third party reporting portal in South Yorkshire, which wasn't there three years ago. And we also have operations close pass and other operations where officers are now actually trained to use cycles to do some of their work. And that was a big change because at the time I came in, officers were told that it wasn't safe for them to use cycles. So we had to navigate through that in order to get them back onto bikes and back out onto the streets using cycles for some of their work. So you have you really noticed a, a considerable change in the, the attitude amongst the the wider police force and and their understanding of what it is the, what it is to ride a bike because that made a real sort of tangible difference on the on the street level do you think I think it's making a difference. We obviously still have a significant amount of work to roll it out across all areas of the force. But when I arrived, one of the biggest criticisms of being a person on a bike or walking in South Yorkshire was that the police force didn't take the offences of people in vehicles seriously enough. So that's changed. We have a single point of contact within South Yorkshire Police who's now championing that across the force. And that's really having an influential effect on on other officers. Road traffic policing will always be fairly contentious. It's not seen as being the, the sexy part of policing, if that's the right way to put it. And I think a lot of forces would do well to to focus on this because people want to be able to choose whether or not they use a vehicle whether or not they walk or cycle but to feel safe doing all of those things and so certainly it's it's put south yorkshire police on the right foot forward and hopefully it will be rolled out further across the force as the the coming months and years progress it's really good to hear that because i know that um I know that a lot of people feel this way around uh, roads police and uh, they're just like anyone, aren't they? They have the kind of uh, the same kind of prejudices and the same kind of variety as there are in across the general public. And there's always that kind of educational element. Yeah, I wonder um, your I know that Chris Boardman's talked about this, the difference between going from working with athletes and as an athlete himself to get working with councils and the sort of very different pace of change. And uh, I wonder how you've coped with that. It could be like walking through treacle, cycling through treacle at times, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, I have had to learn a lot more patience, I think is probably sort of the headline there. Um, as an elite athlete, you're used to getting what you want because you work for it. And yet you can work for it at the pace you choose. Ultimately, working in public services, there's different things that are affecting the time of the people that you're working with. So I've had to get used to a different pace. And it's not always been at the same speed as I would like. But then there's different levels of assurance processes that need to go through in different other parts of the consultation process that I have had to learn about. You know, there's lots of things that I've learned over the last three years about how these things come to be a thing. And I think that's probably one of the biggest criticisms that people have had of me is that I've done nothing because you've not seen a great deal here. But we've got greater green. We've got a significant number of schemes that are happening in small pockets. But a lot of what we've been doing in terms of the infrastructure will start you will start to see that over the coming couple of years and sadly some of it was delayed because we couldn't get the people actually onto the ground to do the building but that's one of the challenges and one of the things you just take on the chin and you know that you know those delays are something that you can't affect and I think that's perhaps where my athlete training has come in quite well because you talk about controlling the controllables you know constantly as a performer and that's where I've really learned that I can't control all of aspects of the process and I can just try and do my very best to influence in the right places 
Um, obviously, you've told us that you've kind of built up this plan to go forward. Do you think that's secure now? We don't know what's going to happen with the next mayor. What kind of safeguards are in place to sort of ensure that like that this this momentum isn't lost for the people of um, South Yorkshire who want to cycle and walk more? No, absolutely. And I think that's the case with any plan from any mayoral ship that's moving to, to a different person. You know, any of the priorities that Dan Jarvis laid out in his manifesto in 2018 can be built upon or, or adjusted by the new mayor, depending on where that mayor comes from, whether that's another Labour mayor, as Dan Jarvis has been, or whether that's from a different party. The mayoral combined authority as an entity is very keen to make sure that the active travel programme remains as much of a focus as it has been, uh, and to make sure that they continue to bid for the pots of funding that they're allowed to as a mayoral combined authority because the funding to combined authorities is slightly different to local authorities that stand alone. There is a huge appetite to make sure that we don't lose what's happened over the last three years and certainly we will leave there with a very strong foundation and a significant focus on active travel as being a solution not just to some of the challenges within transport but obviously within the challenges towards net zero targets to just the general environment and also to economic growth across the region. There's also a significant move with school streets and the partners that deliver various different active travel measures for schools, whether that's living streets or sustrans. All of those partners are working incredibly hard to build out active travel plans for each of the schools. And we've seen more school streets delivered. We have had active neighbourhood delivered in Kellam Island and we've got others planned across the region and there's a hope that we'll be able to secure a mini Hollands fund that will be delivered once we've left but ultimately that will be something that we had a real eye on and also looking at some of the corridors through the Advanced Wellbeing Research Centre and where the Olympic Legacy Park is in Sheffield and out towards Rotherham. In fact I'm going to Rotherham tomorrow to talk about the scheme that we have between Sheffield and Rotherham and the plans and progress on that. So there is significant things happening and if they don't continue with that then it will be another piecemeal approach and I don't think anybody of any colour party wants to go back to that approach with anything. Should we talk about Greater Manchester, how that all came about, how the contact was first made? Um, It was very recently actually although I mean I suppose you should wind back to the start of my consideration. I found out Dan Jarvis decided not to stand again as the mayor of South Yorkshire last October or November. And at that point, there was also the active travel at England body being fleshed out, the interim active travel commissioner post as well. And there's lots of movement around active travel to make it being a national priority. Since Dan Jarvis and I wrote to the Prime Minister in, in May of 2020 to say we need to see walking and cycling a priority coming out of the pandemic. And things have really rolled on with active travel funding. It was originally the Emergency Active Travel Fund. So now active travel funding has been, you know, more regular and they may have rehashed the same budget into different names over the course of the last couple of years but the focus really is there and now Active Travel England is coming in and I also started to reflect on how I would feel working for a different person at the helm you know of a a mayoral combined authority and whether that was something that was right for me as an individual I'd obviously just come back from Tokyo myself and was reflecting on a huge amount of work in my professional cycling life as well as my professional public service life so for me it gave me a a question mark is that the right thing to do to stay and wait to see what happens or do I look at other opportunities and where I might spread my wings and when the opportunity to come back to Greater Manchester was presented to me towards the end of February that seemed like a really good opportunity not to miss you don't know how often these roles come up and how often the opportunity gets presented to another person 
and I've always looked at the work that Andy Burnham has done and been, you know, hugely impressed by everything in Greater Manchester. I've lived across this side of the Pennines for the vast majority of my life, apart from when I was at university in Leeds. So for me, it seemed like the right thing for me as an individual. And once I assessed where we were in South Yorkshire and what I could leave to the next commissioner and next active travel team, it seemed like there was a clean break with a new mayor and a, a new opportunity for the mayor in South Yorkshire to build their own team when they're ready. And for me as an individual, that chance to work back at home was obviously a big draw. Yeah, I mean, it's worth stressing for those who perhaps don't know it. Number one, you haven't retired, have you, from your racing career? Your f- goals are firmly firmly set on Paris, which will be the next date with the, the Paralympic Games. So that's all very much still part of your life. And that for those who don't know, it's, it's worth stressing, isn't it, that a lot of your professional athlete life revolves still around Manchester, doesn't it, as it has done throughout the British cycling headquarters are still in Manchester. The Manchester Velodrome is presumably where a lot of your work still gets done, Sarah. So in that sense, it is a, a homecoming as well, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I basically spent my whole life training in and around Manchester. I don't spend a huge amount of time at the Manchester Velodrome as a road rider, but that's obviously where Cycling HQ is within the UK. So for me, Manchester is home. I was a part of the bid to try and bring the Olympics to Manchester in 2000. I was part of the Athlete Advisory Committee to the 2002 Commonwealth Games. Apart from a couple of years in Leeds, I've always lived just outside the boundary literally greater manchester boundary is about a mile from my house so whilst i could never do the greater manchester youth games because of where my school was i've always been in and around here so for me it is a homecoming and i think you know i know manchester incredibly well from a geographical perspective i've lived over in salford and i've got friends across the boroughs so it's a different situation for me as an individual but also from a professional perspective it's incredibly exciting to see the vision of the b network and also now the dual role of a transport commissioner in in vernon everett who will be looking after the public transport side of the role that chris boardman had and i will be looking after the walking cycling active travel side to make sure that we come at transport from both ends because if you don't have walking and cycling your public transport network suffers if you don't have a public transport network that works then people are are less likely to be able to walk and cycle as part of a longer journey so it's really important that we are working together as in that dual role there's some massive exciting plans in manchester obviously but um i guess chris was in the position that you're in in terms of sort of building up the plans and then um, moving on to the national role and so you're now picking up the B network and um, and everything that's kind of been laid down already. Obviously, Manchester City Council was one to crack before. They were, I think, resolutely not going for the the um, active travel. But now there's a new leader there. Are you kind of hopeful that the city centre is going to see some improvements in active travel under your watch? Yeah, I think, you know, Bev Craig is the new leader at Manchester City Council. And it's really interesting to see the different ambitions of new leaders coming in. There'll always be that challenge with any political roles where you have to win hearts and minds. You have to be able to present the case of why this is important in a wider agenda because active travel is a relatively new thing that's why there's not that many commissioners across the UK I think there's five of us six of us across the UK although we could do with many more who are in the position uh, or or who are capable of being in the position of balancing that political um, patience if you like with that vision and that ability to deliver the right quality and speak for many many different people from different backgrounds but certainly in the change of leadership in Manchester City Council is certainly an opportunity to to change the way that they view active travel and I'm looking forward 
in the coming months, I start at the beginning of May in Greater Manchester, to getting to know those individuals and finding out what their plans are from a wider perspective so that I can present active travel in the right way. And of course, differently to when Chris started, we now have a change of direction for fares in public transport. So just last week, the judicial review on the bus companies was concluded and Andy Burnham has been able to announce a fare cap for bus trips, which will spread across all forms of public transport. So having a joined up system for public transport will make it a much more attractive option. And then we can start to build in the first mile and last mile parts of those journeys. Just going back to the opposition that you were talking about from Manchester City Council under its previous um, stewardship, I've got a couple of questions about that that just display my ignorance, really. One is, what's the difference between the Greater Manchester Authority and the Manchester City Council? How does that kind of split work and who's responsible for what? And secondly, did you get a sense, I mean, I know you haven't taken up this role yet, but I'm sure you've done your due diligence, but it's very important to understand what that opposition was based on, you know, what what are the things that need to be overcome in people's minds or in, in, in the political thinking? So it's a couple of questions there. One, what's the difference between the two councils and what was it all about? So Manchester City Council is one of the 10 councils that make up Greater Manchester Combined Authority. So the 10 councils are from Wigan in the northwest across to Tameside, Oldham and Stockport, Trafford, Bury, Bolton. You can test me on all 10 if you like later. <laughs> um, so there's 10 authorities that come together to form the Combined Authority. Obviously, when I was working in South Yorkshire, there was four authorities that came together to form and um, the South Yorkshire Combined Authority. So the Manchester City Council is the central authority because it's the the city with it, the very heart of the uh, from a geographical perspective, it's a neighbour to Salford City. So there are two cities within this combined authority, uh, and Manchester City Council's boundaries um, border nearly all of the ten authorities. I think it is. So they are kind of the city centre, and they have that dual heart with with Salford as well. In terms of the previous stewardship and how the opposition was laid, I think it was just a, a traditional sort of status quo. This is a new concept. How we solve these challenges need new solutions and active travel is not really a new solution because back in the 1800s, people talked about the fact that not everybody could own a horse and cart. Otherwise, the streets would be full of horse manure, to want to put it in a polite way. So we need to look at the same concept from a vehicle perspective. Everybody owning a vehicle and driving it all at the same time will just result in clogged streets. There is not enough space. But we don't have the solution of active travel, we don't have that many pointers to say, look there, we did this instead of this, and it worked like this. And so some of the opposition has more been around a historical preference to prioritise vehicles, rather than an ignorance as to what active travel is. And I think that's where the change is happening across the UK. And we'll still come across the people who have lived and breathed prioritising vehicles, as we have done across the UK for the last, you know, 50, 60 years or so. But we're now in that position where we need to change. We've got a finite space. We don't really want to build more roads because that induces more vehicle demand. So now we have to look at those other solutions. And unfortunately, we've spent money on things that will probably be need to be changed. But as humans, we make mistakes and we need to repair those mistakes. And hopefully over the coming years, we'll look at where those changes need to be made and start to put a plan in place to do so. And it's also worth pointing out that the highways authorities in each of the local authorities are the local authorities. So the mayor will potentially get more highways authority with, with the uh, adjustments that are being made from the top down at government level. But the highways authorities of the roads are on those local authorities. So we can't tell them what to do. We can advise them of best practice 
and then they make the decision. And that's one of the distinctions that Chris had to point out quite significantly at the start of his tenure, is that the council has made this decision, the residents elected these people, you elected these people to, to work for you, and they've made this decision on your behalf. I advise them to do this, and they've chosen not to do what I suggested, but you're the electorate, you're the people who can make the decision at the next election. And ultimately, that's how things gradually change. And I think we've seen that in South Yorkshire with a shared stewardship of Sheffield City Council now, not it was a Labour stronghold, and now it's a shared council with the Green Party. And so people are starting to, to vote with their feet, which is ultimately what needs to happen if we're going to tackle the various different challenges we have from our environment right the way through to congestion and health. And health is at the top of the list for me because we've designed activity out of people's lives by prioritising vehicles for so long. What were Chris's handover notes like, Sarah? And how much of the Boardman project actually kind of made it into fulfilment, do you think? What, you know, what kind of, how much was there still left to do in terms of what Chris wanted to achieve? And, and that, that, presumably that now becomes your kind of responsibility. Well, Chris's handover is always very thorough. he's a details man he's left such a legacy here which creates a huge responsibility to me which is something you know never shied away from that responsibility to deliver on a plan and that's what my whole life has been based on for 30 years of international sport and delivering on a plan to win gold medals for the UK so in that sense there's a lot of synergies I'm still getting to grips with the entire plan to make sure we can do an audit of various different parts of that and I, like I say, I started towards the beginning of May. So once the mayoral elections in South Yorkshire are concluded, then that's kind of like the natural break. So I'm still in that very green phase of getting to grips with all the parts. But as you would expect, Chris has been incredibly thorough and um, and will remain a support because he and I work together in the in the national picture. I'm a, a DFT uh, non-exec director on the board there. So I work in this from a national perspective too. Mm. I'm always amazed, Sarah, I know that we were talking about this earlier, at how much you managed to do. I mean, most elite athletes, that's their full-time job and that's kind of all they can do in life. And I think for most people, that would be more than enough. But you managed to also do this, I guess, quite big, quite pressurised other role in national service, like you said, and um, kind of wonder like how you, I don't know, how you manage. <laughs> how you find the time. <laughs> I think it's interesting because the Pete Zanzotra, who's been my senior advisor in South Yorkshire and the Active Travel Programme Director, he comes across with me to Greater Manchester as my senior advisor as well. And he says, you know, when I go out training, my thinking time is on the bike and I can come up with all sorts of convoluted plans. And then whether or not we get to put them into action depends on the resource available. Because I also have to remember going back to what you said about the difference or the, the benefits of being an elite athlete is that sometimes the resource that we have for R&D and elite sport doesn't necessarily match the resource available in public services and, and local authorities. So I think, oh, I've got a really great idea. And then I come back and discover that it's going to cost far too much money. And then I'm like, oh, OK. So I go out and I utilise my training time to kind of mull things over and you know, rehearse scripts or speeches and get myself into a zone and I can kind of zone out and and really like the sort of the other part of my brain have a rest and then come back and really focus. And and it's worth remembering that the roles as Active Travel Commissioner have been around two days a week. The non-exec role at the DFT is a couple of days a month. So we kind of you work it around and you get everything fitted in and I've got an incredibly supportive husband and my parents live around the corner and the kids love being on the go so I guess it's lucky that we've all got so much energy. 
But I was I was hoping that Barney would get a mention at some point, Sarah, because he's a massive support to you, isn't he? And uh, in everything that you're you're able to achieve, are you still running the team as well? Um, it's worth noting that story racing is. I mean, that's another facet to what Sarah does. But maybe people outside of the sport side of the bubble aren't aware of. You know, Sarah has a a women's racing team that develops uh, particular young road racers, and um, that's a huge operation. Just keeping that on the road, isn't it, as well? Yeah, I mean, we've reduced the, the the story racing side of things a little bit, partly down to the fact that the resource of that was reduced significantly when the main cash sponsors pulled out during the pandemic due to pressures of furlough and being in the hospitality industry. Unfortunately, those sponsors weren't able to continue with their marketing budgets. So we're trying to rebuild that. And we actually have a team weekend next weekend where we'll get the team together and hopefully get some new content. But we've got great equipment sponsors. And so Boardman Bikes provide the the bikes and I've ridden on Chris's bikes it's completely unconnected to active travel in many ways but it's a nice synergy to have uh, Lacal obviously support with our with our kit and we've got info crank with our power crank and cask helmets so we've got a really good set of equipment sponsors that enable us to to pr- produce a team on a start line and then the rest of the resource is kind of under Barney's stewardship now to try and regalvanize that budget we're trying to get a little bit of racing overseas and my race program looks completely different to the way it did say back in 2016 when I was racing events like the Tour of California but I think in some ways my race program is a victim of my own campaigning because I wanted to see a women's tour de France and see the women's world tour really take off as an individual I can't devote as much time to seeking a place in a professional cycling team because of the other interests that I have so I've kind of worked my way out of being able to race at the biggest women's races because our team isn't registered at the right level but that's great because we're seeing more women on bikes and that obviously filters back down to the real world stuff that we do for active travel and getting people around more easily without being forced into vehicles all of the time. I I, I remember you know over the years of working with Chris obviously you know for ITV and, and, and commentary and all that sort of thing Chris I would get periodic updates about how everything was progressing in Manchester and his big project, it struck me, just to kind of return to your new job, was the B network in many ways, wasn't it? That was the kind of headline infrastructure that was going to be put in place. How much of that, Sarah, is, as, as, as you understand it, kind of complete or is it still very much a work in progress? So, so the B network is the entire public transport, cycling and walking network across the combined authority. So it mixes in the routes that people will take using bus, train or tram with the routes that will be built um, to high quality infrastructure for getting to the public transport hubs, the high streets, the neighbourhoods. So last year alone, they delivered more than 88 kilometres of the network on the ground. And that was off the back of a relatively quiet year when people physically couldn't work because they were told to stay at home during 2020 and that initial lockdown. And they've also delivered the first Cyclops junctions, which are revolutionary really for the UK and a sort of adaption of the Dutch style roundabouts that we sometimes see in places like Cambridge. And we'll have one in Sheffield quite soon I think as well. How many are there in Greater Manchester now? I remember when the first one was unveiled is it just a handful or? There's a handful yeah there's a handful I haven't got the the exact number but there are 
there are many more uh, designed into different schemes that are going to be rolled out over the next 12 months. So part of my initial role will be to look at where we're at with what's coming so that we can be aware and showcase what's happening so that people can be drawn to try and look at the infrastructure, look for new routes and, and see how the network expanding will help their day-to-day journeys and then it'll be about how we join it up to the new offering with public transport will the the new fares with buses enable us to do different routes will there be changes that vernon brings in that will need an adaption to the walking and cycling plan and obviously everything is fluid we've said that within south yorkshire we presented a network for 2040 there's many different ways you can get to that network you know as an end point and we need to be flexible as funding pots change and as priorities of different leaders change and as different different challenges come about and I said yesterday at the announcement of my role we'll keep making left and right turns until we get to the destination because we will get there but we may just have to redesign how we get there or re-evaluate how we get there as time goes by and in Greater Manchester it's being set off a backdrop of a new era for Greater Manchester and a plan that Andy Burnham has laid out across everything from education, young people, health, housing, net zero to 2038. So it's a very similar kind of nearly 20 year plan uh, and a very similar kind of backdrop, if you like. But it really does combine a lot of different agendas and the sort of traditional silo way of working of things just kind of being done in a very binary way. It can't be done like that anymore because as a solution, and Chris has said this many times, if you were looking for a silver bullet that would solve your challenges around health, around mental well-being, around the challenges of space and public realm, then active travel provides that silver bullet. If it was available on prescription to solve problems, then it would be. But we've got to get that into the mindset of more people. So um, you've got these kind of two, um, I guess, two parts of your career, your kind of the active travel side and the racing side is there a favorite now (laughs) do you have a favorite or is it like children you're not allowed to say (laughs) well I think for me I feel a huge privilege in working across what I call the rainbow sport like from one end the everyday stuff that makes a real difference to people's lives right the way around to the pot of gold at the other end and each you know color of the rainbow represents a different group of people that will interact with sport and physical activity in some way shape or form what we're doing with wheels for all centers may find a young a young person who needs to ride a trike will end up at the Paralympic Games and they'll go the full breadth of the rainbow with me. Other people may just get back into sport, as we discovered last week with International Women's Day and the report by the Women's Sport Trust of how we lose teenagers, still female teenagers in from sport. And that was the case 30 years ago when I started my international sporting career. It's one of the biggest sort of upsets to me is that that narrative has not changed my entire career. We still need those positive role models in the media. We still need to champion you know women's success in sport in order to try and make a significant difference so that's something that is always still going to be there and whilst we've had the smaller successes within cycling and getting the Tour de France to come back and a more professional setup for women's cycling from the UCI's perspective just across the bigger breadth of sport that's not there yet and there's obviously pockets of good practice but we we still not seeing that filter down to the way school-aged children feel about themselves when they're in years 9, 10, 11, 12. So that's still a huge amount to do. So I feel a huge privilege to work across this whole rainbow of sport and be a sad day when I have to hang up my race wheels and I don't get to access that 
part of Gold End quite so frequently. Can't, I can't see that ever happening, to be perfectly honest, Sarah. <laughs> no, I know. You seem unstoppable. It's amazing. <laughs> but it is, I mean, it, it's no coincidence that you and Chris both have kind of moved in a similar direction and, and discovered this this passion for doing what you're doing in this political level. I don't think it's a coincidence because I think it's one of the unique things about the sport that you have chosen you know, and, and it's, it's worth reminding, as you did, that you, you moved from swimming over to cycling a long, long time ago. But cycling's different, isn't it? Because the elite level of cycling touches on this everyday reality that people, you know, I'm just about to do it. I've got, I'm just about to go and do work in the library and I, it's a one and a half mile trip and I'm just going to hop on my bike and not not put on any special clothes and I'm going to go to work effectively on my bike. So it's the same principle and the same bit of kit that applies, you know, at this elite sport level and in this everyday kind of knitted into your everyday life sort of level. And that's unique about the sport of cycling, isn't it? Because you don't hurdle down to the corner shop and you don't take a javelin with you to work, do you? So, but cycling is real, isn't it? It's a real thing. It is. And we do talk about hurdling to school when we're talking about getting more children active on the school run or hopscotching to school. So we do talk about sports in other ways and maybe rollerblading. But no, you're absolutely right. And a friend of mine who used to be on the the British swim team is now was on the board at British Swimming for a while. And she said, I want to pick your brains about how swimming can be more cycling. And I said, well, one of the things that you have to recognize is the challenge for swimming is that it's not an everyday form of transport i mean it is in some places where you can swim to work and there is a there is one point that was sent some information about a gentleman who who swims up the river rhine in germany to work and he has to bring it back but it's not going to be that mainstream it's, it's no. going to be even more we talk about cycling being quite niche at times well that's going to be really niche. so you know somebody said to me well maybe we could use the river don for canoes so i was like absolutely and chris and i we're having a meeting and I was like I'm really sorry I've, I'm, I've got um I've got to go I've got an appointment with a kayak <laughs> and he's like what? what's that on that? Like, just trialing another form of active travel he said it's never going to stick but yeah you're absolutely right you know being able to move I, I have an e-bike I in fact I have two e-bikes and people are like you've got an e-bike oh you're cheating I was like no because I you know at times with work especially when I come down to London one of the e-bikes folds so it's on the train but it's just a lot easier when I'm carrying a massive backpack and it's also quite interesting when you turn up to different places and you, you kind of combine the role so a funny story is I had an event to do at Claridge's and I was I arrived on this e-bike and the, the guys outside were about parking a Bentley and they looked at me in horror <laughs> that I wanted them to store a bike. I said, like, don't worry, it folds. And I was giving them all the chat. And I said, and, and it's OK, because I've got a really good storage pouch for my gold medals because they're here <laughs> on my chest. I've got a bum bag that there's no one's going to steal them. Like, gold medals, woman, e-bike, what's going on? They're really confused. And then they ended up, we're looking at the gold medals on the street outside Claridge's. And they're like, oh, right. So you're here for the Women of the Year Awards. OK, so they kind of, but normally, like you're riding yeah. on a bike, it's like panic. So it's just really interesting how those two worlds can collide and actually work really nicely together. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Laura, do you have any further questions for Sarah? No, I feel like we should let Sarah go. We've had enough yeah, of her time already. Um, incredibly generous with your time. Yeah, yeah. It's lovely to chat and talk all things on that rainbow, really, because so, I think that's the benefit of the work that we can do is that it makes a real tangible difference on the ground. 
Brilliant. And just to remind you, so when do you take up your new post then? Did you say the beginning of May? Is that when it starts? Yes, yeah, so the mayoral elections are the 6th of May, I think 7th, 5th of May. So right. I will start the following week in Greater Manchester. All right. Well, it's really nice of you to join us. Uh, all the best. Wish you all the best with the, the new role because it's hugely important, Sarah. And I'm, I'm a big admirer of your commitment, as I have been with Chris down the years. So it's just great to see what you're both up to. Um, thank you, Laura. You've been listening to Streets Ahead, our editor for this episode and many episodes uh, before this one has been Claire Mansell. Do let us know what you think at Pod Streets Ahead. It's the tag. Rate us, review us and share the podcast with anyone you think might enjoy it. In the meantime, though, bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.